Hi, and welcome to episode 40 of the 85-day mini-sode experiment, which is just a little mini piece of my greater podcast. So typically I podcast in series, um, but I just decided for the 85 days leading up to my 40th birthday that I would podcast every day, and then partway through I decided to take off weekends because it was getting... It was getting tricky with the kids to, ne- you know, to always be on my phone, um, trying to get them to stay off their phones while I am nonstop on my phone and recording things and doing things. So I had to make a little shift, but almost every day to my 40th birthday. And then I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I am really enjoying it. It's really fun. And I love having this. It's almost like I have a radar on all the time for things that are coming up that I want to talk about and I want to share which is fun because I just like think a little bit more deeply about it. So if you're interested in that, let me know if that's something that, that um, like if you're enjoying having the regular podcasts. I don't know if I'll be able to keep up with every day, but I could try to do them way more regularly than I have been. Um, okay, so I've been building on, building on these concepts around like a pro-woman definition of beauty and then Yesterday, I was talking about eroticism as defined by Esther Perel as sort of the antithesis or the antidote to death. And I just wanted to expand on that a little bit before I get into today's topic, which was also inspired by the same conversation where I heard Esther Perel speaking, um, but totally kind of going in a totally different direction. So I just wanted to read this one this one little excerpt from an interview with Esther Perel because I don't feel like, I feel like I touched on her, her definition of eroticism and how she links it in to this, this feeling of being alive and having vitality and vigor and the fortitude to carry on in our relationships in a really big and important way or I don't know if important is the right word, like a really invested or engaged kind of way. But anyway, I'll just read this so that you get a better understanding. Because I feel like maybe I may have fallen short yesterday a little bit. So this is from Esther. This is a quote from her. I have always been interested in the story of survival and revival. But I did not originally connect it to eroticism. I made the connection one day when I was talking to my husband, Jack Saul who is the director of International Trauma Studies Program at Drexel. He was one of the co-founders of the Center for Victims of Torture. I said to him, when do you know that a torture victim comes back to life? When do you know that they are once again in the world? What does it take for a person to reconnect? It turns out that people come back to life when they're able to reconnect with creativity, vitality, and with the opposite of vigilance. You can't play when you're vigilant. You can't play when you're anxious. You can't play when you're fearful. You can't play when you don't trust. That's when I made the connection. There are two groups in the community of Holocaust survivors that I grew up in, in Antwerp. There were the houses that just had survived, but you felt deadness in them, from the curtains being down, to the heaviness, anti-hedonism, 
and the inability to experience pleasure of being alive. And then you had the houses of people who had really experienced eroticism as an antidote to death and knew how to keep themselves alive, to stay connected to vitality and vibrancy and exuberance and joy and force. So that's from her. And again, she's looking at some pretty dire circumstances in the human experience. And she's looking at how people who have been highly oppressed, who've been highly traumatized, find a way to come back to life and, and to reconnect. And I hope that you can hear in there that there are so many of the same words that I use to describe this relationship that we have with our body and the potentially milder but hurtful trauma that comes from continually dieting, vigilance, anxiety, fear, not trusting, and how this whole process that I encourage women to go through is really about relaxing again into the body and then drawing on vitality. And I've never called it eroticism before. I've called it desire. I've called it, you know, like I think female fire or female intention, but, but drawing on those powers of vitality and vibrancy and exuberance and curiosity to, to reconnect with the world. It's a pretty, it's a pretty incredible thing. Okay. So today I wanted to touch on one more thing that really got me thinking about bodies and the way that I talk about bodies. And again, this was from the conversation between Esther Perel when she was on Dax Shepard's podcast. So let's talk about that one more thing. All right, so the conversation is between Dax and Esther, and they are talking about relationships just to remind you, right? Like they are 100% talking about, and not just relationships, they're talking about marital relationships, which is her field of expertise. And so you may feel, you know, that I'm grasping a little bit (laughs) in comparing continually their conversation to bodies, but it really did, it like jumped out at me how similar this was. But you might feel like I'm grasping, just stick with me here, okay? So they are talking about relationships and Dax starts talking about unconditional love. And he's basically saying like, what? There's no such thing as unconditional love for my partner. Like I have conditions, you know, if my partner started being like a slob or, you know, started behaving wildly differently than they behaved when I met them and married them, like that's grounds for divorce. Like I, I would not be okay in the relationship if all of a sudden there were, you know, we have these like agreements in our relationship and sure, sometimes the agreements grow and they change or whatever. I mean, I'm really heavily paraphrasing here, right? But like if someone just starts breaking all the agreements, like that's it, you know, I don't have unconditional love for you. And so he was basically asking Esther her thoughts on conditional love and unconditional love and what we should be expecting from relationships. And what she said is we need to stop thinking conditional, unconditional, and we need to start thinking relational, meaning we are in relationship to one another. 
and her, all of her work, which is what my work is about too, is about both and, both and. I have a shirt, a t-shirt that says Santosha on it. And people will say like, what's Santosha? Santosha is a Japanese word for both and instead of always, but, you know, instead of like everything being binary, it's right or it's wrong. It's one thing or it's another. It's pitting things against each other. And that is firmly her stance, which is probably why I connect so much with her work because it's all about the nuance. It's all about the complexity. It's all about the gray, which we don't like. I've talked about this in another podcast. Our brains don't like that, but that's where we live. And our brain wants to tell stories that are really concrete. And it wants to tell, you know, romantic stories about what romantic love should look like if it's correct. And a lot of her work, if you listen to her coaching couples is about helping them understand that these stories that we tell about relationships are very silly. And it's the story itself that's getting in the way of healing the relationship. Like I shouldn't have to ask for what I want. You know, you should know what I need. And in much the same way, I think that we have these stories about what our relationship should be like with our bodies. And Interestingly, I think I maybe accidentally have fed that a little with this idea of body love. And I'm always very careful and quick to explain what I mean by body love, which essentially just means being respectful of our bodies and caring for our bodies and not abandoning our bodies and understanding that until the day we die, our bodies are there for us every single day doing, you know, doing what we need them to do. Not always perfectly. Sometimes we feel betrayed because, you know, they're not functioning correctly or they're ill or there's other things going on, you know, but if we're alive, our body's still with us. It's still there fighting the fight with us. And, and so how can we stick with our bodies just as strongly is basically the foundation of my definition of body love. But I have used the word unconditional many times. Like, how can we get to a place of unconditional love? And again, I, I don't think that I mean, I don't mean that you just 100% love your body all the time. For me, unconditional love means that even when you don't like your body, you're willing to continue to care for it and respect it. But this whole conversation between Esther Perel and, and Dak Shepard really got me thinking about instead of unconditional conditional, like I'm just going to stop using those words and instead just start using the word relational. Like we are in relationship with our body and it's not about whether it's good or bad or perfect or ideal or whatever. It's about cultivating, which is the way that I do work with women when we're improving body image. I talk about it as a process. You know, I, I did a podcast on process over perfection. Um, I talk about all the time that it's not a single aha moment, that it's a work in progress and we have to, we have to be in it all the time, that it's a muscle and when we work it, it gets strong and when we don't work it, it gets weak. I talk about these things all the time, but I think I'm just going to start, maybe it's even just categorizing it differently in my brain and using slightly different words and maybe it will help you too to realize that just like a relationship with a friend or a child or a partner, you are in a relationship with your body. And it's not always going to be perfect. 
And you're not always going to have the time and the energy to put into eating a certain way or exercising a certain way in the same way that you don't have time in your marriage to always put into communicating perfectly or being romantic with one another. Like sometimes we have to table these things and then circle back to them. And and we're always trying to work toward cultivating a fairly healthy relationship with our partners. But it doesn't mean it's always perfect and it doesn't mean it's always balanced. <laughs> and it doesn't mean it's always like, you know, like does, it doesn't mean it's always just so. It's just an ongoing process of cultivating and putting in the energy and being like, oh, over here needs a little bit more attention right now. Or I don't have time for this. I need to take my eyes off of this. I need to focus somewhere else in my life right now. And so I'm not sure why, but it was just a really interesting, maybe different way to think about body love as just a relationship. And our work is just to cultivate, is just to work on it. And it doesn't need to be perfect. It won't be perfect all the time, but it's just about being willing to put in the time and the energy and to do that work on a regular basis if we want the relationship to be good. Um, Sometimes when I work with women, I think that, you know, if they don't like the way they look, they just think it's a fact. And in some ways we're taught that. And in other ways, it's a little bit of a cop out, right? So if it's just a fact, then what can you do about it? You know, whereas if it's, if it's like, this is a relationship and you can actually change this and you can actually work on it. It's like, whoa, we open up Pandora's box, right? To a whole lot of work and a whole, a whole lot of energy. And not everyone is in the right place to be doing that work for sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I know that like talking about doing this work is, is again, I've talked about this many times, but I always want to say it again in case someone's just tuning into this podcast and they haven't heard me speak before, right? Those in more marginalized and stigmatized bodies, this is going to be a harder job. It is going to be a more fraught and challenging relationship. And regardless of the inner work that those individuals do, there will be outside forces affecting their experience of the world that they cannot control or change, right? just by working on the relationship. But that doesn't mean that we don't, that doesn't mean that there's no point in working on it. It just means that we need to be aware of and understand that for some people, this work is harder. So anyway, that's your food for thought for the weekend. Have a wonderful weekend. um, And I'll see you back here on Monday. Take care.